And I say with my Lord Jesus that I must be about my father's business. Thank you for giving me your insight into my kingdom success. In Jesus' name, I pray expecting. Amen. I say this with me. I'm a believer of the word of God. I am an epistle of the spirit of God. I am a disciple of my man of God. I am a finder of the destiny path of God for my life. All right. Hallelujah. Just want to welcome those of you that are watching uh, with us online as we continue on our series, Dynamics of Destiny Relationships. We're really talking about the parenting relationship, and uh, we are hitting a very pivotal point in the relationship um, with where we are right now. And um, this is a critical time, so I'm so glad you're here. I pray that uh, this will bless and minister to you as you think through uh, where you are. Uh, for some of you, you are still at a point where uh, you can do more um, directing to your children than some of us who have to kind of have a, a partnership with children. If that's you, hang on, because you're going to get to where I am, and you're going to realize that uh, that one that you could say, it and it, it was so, it's not quite the same way anymore. And God's okay with that. And so we want to have us, he want you and I to have the wisdom on how to deal with that. At the end, we'll come and tell you how you can invest in the words you've heard. Amen? All right. So um, I'm so grateful that today I also have some young people in the room because, um, you know, for this one, even though we're talking about it, you know, for this part to work effectively, then you've got to then grow into who you are in God. And you can't wait until you leave the house to figure out who you're supposed to be in God. Because it doesn't like switch on just because you head off to college or because you hit the magic age. I don't know what the magic age is. At one point in time, it was 20. Then we said it was 18 or you said it was 21. You know, I don't know what that magic age is, but I'm going to tell you, it's not like you immediately grow up. If you haven't been growing into that, then you'll get there and you'll find that you're not as ready as what you think you are. So you have to start early figuring out and spending time listening to, to authority, but then listening to God and having God tell you about who you are and what you were created to do so that you can begin to make your own steps with your parents' support towards your own destiny, all right? So we'll talk some about that. Okay, so we've given you for these series, um, these four objectives, number one, to eliminate the basic poverty relationships, especially relationships that are developed for the purpose of glorifying God, too, to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships, the principles upon which relationships consist and by which they are maintained and enhanced. And three, to differentiate the various types of spiritual, natural, and social relationships in their purpose for being from God's perspective. And then four, to motivate you to be more intentional in your relational roles at every level for relational success. Scriptures. Um, is Ephesians 5, 31 through chapter 6, verse 4, and then Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Ephesians says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, these two are the, um, you know, there's some things here, and I won't go through the list, but I just want to 
walk through why we have this scripture in this section. One is it describes a certain um, a certain parallel. It's, it, it describes growth, right? It first talk. It talks about uh, a man, meaning a fully developed male person, leaving his father and mother, meaning they finished the job. Praise the Lord. Now that's a big deal, because I've been in marriage. I've been in marriage uh, counseling, and sometimes I'm thinking we should have had a recall by the parents and say we need to bring him back home and. <laughs> Give him some remedial training before we, <laughs> okay. So a man leaves a father and mother and then cleaves to a wife, which means she is also a fully grown woman. Now, sometimes um, it tends to be that men have a harder time with this than women, but I've seen cases where uh, she's still like daddy's little girl and she wants to be the little girl and have all of the stuff instead of, um, womaning up to, to take on the responsibility that a household and everything that goes with it. And so, you know, so there's that, there's that piece of it. It's there, that, that growth piece of it. Then there is a piece of children and then um, children obeying, but even as you mature, that there's still an honor element that's required, even when obedience is no longer the primary thing. And then it talks about father and mother, but, and parents, but it says fathers have a specific responsibility to ensure the development of the children. Listen, dad, when God's coming to your household, looking at your children's development, he's going to talk to you first. Adam, where are you? And you can't be blaming your wife or them kids. They didn't listen to me, God. No, he ain't. I'm just, he's coming for you first. That, that's why I, I tell them, I say, listen, I'm going to make final decisions because God's going to ask for me first. Okay. Now, I want to decide right. I don't want to just overrule and make it willy-nilly because these, you know, we talked about the fact that God told Abraham, listen to your wife, Sarah. And I'm thinking to myself, when I'm reading this, she the one got us into this mess. And you tell me, listen to her now? But sometimes you got to know, even when you're the one in authority, that you don't always have the answer. All right. So we talked about that. Then we gave you a list of these kind of eight perspectives on the parent-child relationship. And we've been working ourselves through this list, and we're on number five, right? So these eight perspectives. We talked about children in the eternal plan of God. That's where... Um, where you are, and we talked about that even in our Destiny 4 conf uh, conference, that um, God fell in love with the thought of you when there was no you to be thought of, right? So that's an important uh, piece there is, is that you existed in the heart and mind of God before you existed physically, right? Then we talked on number two, children in the womb, right? So our statement is, that that life begins before the womb so when it's in the womb it's just taking an eternal spirit and putting it inside a flesh body so for you to destroy that flesh body that God gave that's not your right okay then we talked about number three was babes and sucklings that's talking about children at the very youngest and earliest age there were little children in the temple, and they were crying out, um, Hosanna to the son of David, right? When the Pharisees was all religious um, around Jesus, these children praised God, and then David quoted, and then Jesus quoted the scripture, out of, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, God has ordained a praise, right? So that means you can teach young children to praise God. One scripture says he perfected a praise, ordained a praise, perfected a praise. It really tells you, as Jesus showed us in different places, that children have a capacity to understand and know God if you develop it. Right? We told him Saturday that um, there was these 11 apostles. Jesus was going to trust them with the gospel. He said a child in the midst of them, and he didn't tell the child, you need to be like these 11 dudes. 
he told those 11 dudes they need to be like the child. So clearly there's a, there's a capacity in children to understand God and to know the gospel. And so one of the things I believe parents are going to be held accountable for is how well did you minister Jesus to young children? If he was sorely displeased with his disciples for shooing kids away, then he's probably displeased with you if you are doing things to create boundaries and blockages for them to know God. In fact, Jesus in another passage of scripture said that, whoa, if you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better if the, the mob gave you cement slippers and threw you over into the ocean. Okay, he said a millstone around your neck. That was a King David verse, and I was giving you a modern-day interpretation. But that's what he meant. And then he said, their angels will tell on you. I don't know about you. That's what keeps me focused when I'm around children. I'm very particular when I'm dealing with children because I know God is watching. I think people, if they understood the gravity of that, um, they would be scared to go overboard even with their own children. Okay, Pastor David, am I right? All right, you, you do it the way you want to. I'm just reading the Bible. Then number four, we talked about young children providing, guiding, directing, and correcting. All right, in the babes and sucklings, okay, some of it is just getting them here, making sure they know who God is. But after a while, we got to start molding character, and we can't wait too long on that. We really got to start very, very early. You almost, you know, because they start telling you what's mine, and they trying to, they, <laughs> they come here trying to run the house. Right? While they still in the crib, they trying to run things. Okay? And so what we want to do is just be sensitive to that character development, but then, you know, early on, we just loving them. We do correct them. We do try to get them in line to a certain extent. Um, because um, it's easier to crush an acorn than it is to cut down an oak tree. So you got to fix some of this as early as you can, but you're trying to nurture them early on. But after a while, you, got to st you start to see their individual personality, and then you got to start working on that thing. And what you can't do is say it's cute when it's ugly, right? I see some people laughing at stuff that, you know, at three that they're going to hate at 13. Okay. And so you, you, better, you better look at it now while, while they're three and you can really get a handle on it because by 13, it's going to get hard to fix it. I'm just saying. All right. Then we're on, right now we're on um, number five which was transitioning children to adulthood. Now let's say, let's look at this, this screen here. So you're in eternity, you're a babe and suckling. Here transitioning to adulthood, you become, there is cold scriptures that talk about, in Proverbs there's some things that talk about a child. Then it starts talking about a son. Sometimes there is sometimes they're using it interchangeably, but sometimes it's talking about this transition to a maturity. So we want them to go to being a son. You know, let's just do it in a male just for the sake of time. But the true same thing is true. You know, a, a female child to a woman to a female child to a daughter, meaning a matured person to a woman. Right to a wife, mother, and then even a matriarch, okay? The same thing is true for a man. Now, matriarch says it's not just that you, a matriarch to me is bigger than being a grandmother. Some people think that just because you granny means you are a matriarch or because you granddad, that means you're a patriarch. It doesn't mean that, right? A, a granddad just means that your children have children. A patriarch means that you as a father have, have birthed a father who can, who can, who can in themselves 
have the spiritual fortitude and wherewithal to ensure that godliness extends to your third generation and that you have enough spiritual maturity to continue to lead them even while they lead their household. That's what a patriarch or a matriarch is. Other than that, you're just a granddad and a grandma. And there's nothing wrong with being just a granddad and a grandma, but those are not the same. Somebody say amen. And then beyond that, we begin to think about legacy, about how does this thing work after I'm dead? And you don't figure that out when you're dead. You got to start looking at the clues now and start dealing with the clues you see. You can't ignore it. You can't close your eyes. You can't hope it gets better on its own. Things will not just get better. All right? So then you got to start making some hard decisions. All right? And particularly um, in this phase, you make some decisions. Isaiah 9 and 6 was our scripture on this. And this scripture talks really about Jesus, but the same thing applies to us. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice that the child is born, but he's not ready to be given to his ministry until he assumes the maturity of being called son. Right? And the government would be upon his shoulders. Not the child's shoulders, but the son's shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay. Now, when we talked about this, when we talked about this before, what we said is that um, this transition from child children to, to adulthood, there is a transition process, all right? If you got a teenager, you are well on your way to that journey, okay? Now, how well they're transitioning is a question. Um, but like it or not, you got a burgeoning adult in your household, and you best to get to getting if you feel like you're behind. Um, what we want you to understand is that there is an, in this one, this is where the energy in the relationship begins to shift. In the first part of it, the parents are driving, and they're the passenger. But in the latter part of it, they're driving, and the parent is the passenger. I know y'all don't like that. But see, listen. <laughs> I, <laughs> I called my daughter trying to get all upset and saying, uh, she was talking about she was going to some event. What time you get home? She's like, Dad, 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 Dad. Y'all in Lake Orion, I'm here in Ann Arbor. You, why you tripping now? You can't do nothing about it. I'm too, you too far away. Well, she would say, I have to develop some trust, so I just gotta tr explain to her why this stuff is important. Because I can't, I can't be there and enforce it. I can't get her up in the morning and tell her she got to be diligent to go to class. I can't put her to bed. I can't tell her, you need some sleep now. You need to go to bed or I'm going to put you on a punishment. Put her on a punishment? She in college. So the energy in the relationship has changed. Now I've had to let her drive. Now if the first time she gets behind the wheel in terms of her own maturity is when she left my house, she behind. Because the world going to expect her to at least know how to get around just a little bit, you know, because if not, they're going to take her off into some places. And then by the time she figure out, I should have done that better. Yeah. But she will have made some major mistakes. You get it? So that's why in this one, we start to work to identify where they are before, before they leave our roof. We want to start this as early as we can not because we're trying to push them out and get grown and get them out of our house, but we're trying to ensure when they leave, not because we're pushing them out, but when they leave, they are ready to be out on their own. 
they have some sensibility about themselves that if their parent is not around, they can still make decisions. I don't think that's a good one. I don't think I need to go with you. I don't think that party I need to go to. I think I still need to come home. I don't think that's a good friend to be around. You don't want them to figure that out after that person that got them in trouble. After they let the person in the car or they get in the car that has a taillight out and there's some weed in the glove compartment and then the cop has probable cause and they didn't know it, but they was in the car and now you got to spend all of the money trying to get them out of trouble. That's not the time you want them to figure out that they don't need to hang out with that dude. Okay? So you, we got to, yeah, drive it early, but you need to get that energy switched as soon as you can and start to, okay, now we, we need to talk. I can't beat all of that out you. Foolishness is born in the heart of a child, and you can whoop it out of a child, but when they start making that transition, you can't beat it. You can't, you can't beat it all out of them. Now we got to have conversations. You can't fuss it out of them neither. Parents, mothers. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, mom. Mom was a bed. I'm just saying, you try to fuss it out. You got you can't, you can't, you can't do it all out. You can't fuss it all. We got to have conversations. Honey, I need you to understand this. Right? I tell my daughter, I say, listen. Yeah, dad. Yeah, dad. No, I need you to understand the whys. Because I gotta know that if I'm not around, that what I understand will still be with you even when I'm not, okay? I'm not telling you I got all the answers. I'm just telling you I didn't get here not knowing nothing, at least get the benefit of my understanding so that you can take it with you and add your own. Does that make sense? All right, so this transition has a swing to it. Um, and we want them to get to the point where they drive with their own energy. What you don't want, like when, <laughs> at, at the school my daughter goes to, um, they don't even like parents being in the room when the child is trying to make discussion. I said, I, I said my name's on a lot of this stuff. Y'all want my... You want my money, you want to know, you want to review my tax returns, you know what I'm saying? You want all of that, but then you want her to make all the decisions. Okay, I'm like, I've said, I'm feeling some kind of way about it, but I've trained her enough, I just want to be in the room. Okay, but we're going to talk to her, that's fine. I've trained her. You can talk to her, but if she missed something, I'm going to say, daughter, did you think about this? Right? So um, we want them to make sure that they understand key things. Now, why is that important? One of the things the Lord told me was that we don't lose our children from church after they leave home. Because if we were all honest, there were things that our parents made us do that we said, when I get grown, I'm not going to do that no more. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. So children, while they still come in the church, is deciding whether or not they're going to be in church after they go. Because you decided. There's some things that my parents are making me do, and when I get out on my own, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to make. I'm not going to do it, and I'm not going to make my kids do it. How many of us said stuff like that? And we were making those decisions while we were still yes mammon and no mammon. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord's telling me, he said, David, I need you to work to win the hearts of your young people and explain to them why this is really important to them, that it's not because mom and daddy said so. I've got to really get that into them. Because if I don't get it into them, 
the church is lost even while they're sitting here looking at me. Because then they become in their 20s when I can no longer make them. And then we all surprised, where did Johnny go? Why didn't he still come to church? He made that decision 10 years ago. Child, please. While he was sitting up there listening to my jokes and not laughing, I know what pastor going to say. They was making decisions. And so that's, do you see how significant this time is? If we don't win certain things while they're in this transition period, we will have lost. And even if they come back to it, usually if they come back to it, it's not without the scars of having been, having taken the, having taken the long road to destiny, right? Some of them will come back to it, but, but they will come back to it after they have lost or made, um, made certain mistakes and then, and we're going to love them and God's going to love them, right? But they will have taken the long, hard road to destiny. Okay. And so um, we talked about last week, and I'm just kind of reviewing some of this. This period is where we, um, because Proverbs was written between a father and son, most of these principles are written in the male gender. They don't, doesn't mean that they only apply to men. It just means that, that it was a father giving this to his son. Some of Proverbs was written from a mother to her son. The, the chapter that talks about a virtuous woman was a mama telling her son how to find a wife. It said the prophecies, go back and read it. Psalm 31, verse 1, the prophecies that his mother taught him. His mama know how to look at a woman and say, no, nah, she ain't going to be a good wife for your boy. <laughs> but he still got to make the call, and you're going to have to deal with it. So you need to have these conversations before he fall in love. Because when he fall in love, you hit. You can sit there and cry about it, but he's still going to make the decisions, and you're going to have to live with the decision that he made. And he will, too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. So sonship is both a natural and spiritual principle. We talked about that son, that there's two concepts of son. One is the word Ben when it talks about son. Um, Benjamin means son of the right hand. That word son means builder of the family name, right? For me, that's an important thing. I do a lot to ensure that the name of ministry that I inherited from my parents, that I take that name and make it bigger and greater than what I got it, right? So whatever, whatever thing you've learned, whatever thing your family's learned, you want your children to take what you've done and make it bigger, all right? So that's one, that's one concept, that's the bin. Then there's the, the word bar, B-A-R, um, remember, um, it says Simon Bar Jonah. Ever heard that term when it talks about Simon, son of Jonah? That word there means um, that that word means heir apparent to the throne. Okay, so it was it was clear to Apostle um, early on that. I was the person who would be the heir apparent as far as ministry is concerned. What you hate is if the person who is the heir apparent doesn't, isn't a builder of the family name. Somebody who takes it as an entitlement but not an empowerment. You, you don't want your kids to feel like everything, they get everything you earned without what you learned. Woo, that's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. You don't want your children to get all your stuff and then not know all the lessons you, you accumulated to accumulate the stuff and then you give it to them and then before your body is cold in the grave, it's gone. My sister works in, in the bank and she'll tell you that some people before, before <laughs> even my telling the truth, before, before their bodies is gone, right? 
The money be gone, boy. And then all of that stuff you treasured for them is trash. Woo! And so what you want is the person who is the heir apparent to what you have is also a builder of the family name. They take whatever you give them and it's worth more after they're done than it was when you gave it to them. That's the objective. And you start to see the traits that are necessary for that kind of life, not after you're gone and they're fully grown and on their own. You start to see traits and ideas around that in this transition to adulthood. All right, so let's look at Proverbs 1, 8 through 10. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. I'm going to just read some scriptures from Proverbs here and we'll be done. Um, may have a few other scriptures besides Proverbs, but that's the main ones I'm going to go through. My son, now listen, listen to this. The parent is pleading with the child. The parent is say, I'm the parent, you better do this. Listen to the tone of the discussion. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Then it goes on and gives you some other things. Um, but notice that when it comes to a child, you were to enforce and correct. Foolishness is born in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction drives it far from him. When it gets to a son, you can't beat <laughs> You can't beat it out of him. Then now you're going to have to, because you're trying to shift the energy to them, you have to then start to have conversations. I need you to get this. I can't make you get it, but I need you to get this. All right? Now, whereas when they're, child, when they're children, they plead with you. Daddy, can I? Can I please, daddy? Please, please, daddy. Can I? Can I please, daddy? But when they're in this transition, you're pleading with them. Do you hear the difference? Will you please get this? I can't make you, but I'm begging you, please listen. Okay? Now, for some parents, that's uncomfortable because you still want to be in charge. You just want to make it so. But if you don't start that, that conversational correction early then when they leave your house they're gonna be like Psh, talk to the hand and when they tell you to talk to the hand then it's not that they're not going to get correction life's going to correct them if they don't listen to you life has a way of making you listen mm-hmm so it's not like the correction goes away. It's just that they have to get the pain of their own experience instead of, instead of getting the benefit of your experience. All right? Let's look at another one here. Um, but, well, before I, go on to, before I go on to the next one, let's just make another statement. That sons and daughters, whereas children were corrected and and rebuked and punished and chastised, sons and daughters, they're asked to receive treasure and regard correction. You have achieved the measure. Listen, young people. You have achieved the measure where God recognizes your maturity. When you can receive regard and treasure correction, not just have to be enforced by your parents. My friends, when I was in college, it was like, you ask your mama, can you do certain things? 
How she know? She 800 miles away. I was in Boston, and she 800 miles away. We could go and be back, and she would never know. I told my friends, God to tell her first of all. <laughs> I believe. See, <laughs> I just, she just had a way of knowing stuff, even though I didn't tell her. But second of all, I understood that there was value spiritually in me recognizing, regarding, and treasuring correction. That, that moved me along my destiny path faster, and it saved me from making some mistakes. And even when I missed it, because I regarded the correction that was given to me, God did certain things to keep me out of certain situations that even I got myself into because I was not a rebellious son. Okay? Let's go to some other scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 4, 10 through 14. When I was 16, this passage of scripture is the passage of scripture that I read at my father's funeral. It was good to me then, and it's still good to me now. Proverbs 4, 10 through 14. Hear my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. All right? So here he's saying, okay, son, I'm not going to always be with you. You're, you're, you're getting to a point now when I have to let go and let you make decisions. What I'm pleading with you, son, is the truth that I gave you, I'm asking you to make it your own now. It can't be because mama and daddy said so. It's got to be you see the wisdom in it and you value the teachings and trainings that I've given you. If you do it, it'll open doors for you. Your path will be straight. Your life will be long. You'll stay out of trouble. You'll be able to see sinners. You'll see situations. And before you get in trouble, you'll see trouble ahead, and God will supernaturally guide you around it because you value the thing that I'm giving you. And I need you to start that process before the day I say bye and I drop you off on a college campus and roll off. So I got to be able to trust you to stay home and I be gone and know that you're not letting somebody in the house. I got to be able to drop you off and you tell me you're going to this movie and you not do something different. I've got to be able to entrust you to make these decisions while you're still under my roof so then I know you can make decisions when you're away from my roof. Pastor David, yeah, 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 yeah. That means I'm going to have to start, I might even have to start loosening curfew and letting you make some decisions. Because I need to try to see your decision-making quality when I can still, <laughs> I can do something about it now. <laughs> because if I wait for, if the first time you make a decision is when you out on your own, I don't know, man. I don't know if you can do stuff on your own. I don't know. Oh, Jesus. Okay? What you don't want to find is they out on their own, and then the lights are on, and ain't nobody home. You don't want to figure it out then. Because, see, then the pain of experience has to teach them lessons that they should have learned while they were still under your authority. 
and under your direction. And listen, for children that look like ours, there's going to be a lot of pain if the pain of experience has to teach them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The world is not going to be nice to them. It's getting meaner by the day. Right? We can't, we can't, uh, we can't absolve them. They may have friends that don't look like them, whose hair isn't as curly as theirs is. And we have to explain to them that all of them can be doing something and they will pick you out and say you were the bad one and all of the rest of them that look like they kids get a pass. I can't, I can't, absolve them from that reality. I got to explain to them that's the world that they live in. And that doesn't mean I'm mad at the other people. I just have to explain my children what they need to survive in the world that they're in. And what they need is different than their peers. Now, does that make everybody that don't look like them bad? No, it don't. Because God gave me people that don't look like me to look out for me. All right? So I can't even be mad at all of the ones that don't look like my child. Listen, there couldn't have been an underground railroad if somebody above ground wasn't helping people that look like you me, and me get through. Right? So I can't. I know there's, there's people out there that's mad at everybody that don't look like them. I can't be like that, and I can't train my children to be like that. God gives you favor with some of them, but if I, if I get them going out into the world thinking everybody going to be liking them, then I haven't given them the right kind of training. I got to tell them, man, this world is not going to look at you exactly the same. They, stop, they, they see a group of you in a vehicle. They're not going to look at it like a group of their kids in a vehicle. Right? You start the mouthing off, there can be a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth when we're done. So I got to get that mouth in check while you're still in the house. Because, see, you know, you just mouth off at me and then I get mad. You know, I might give you spank, but that's different than when they get that billy club out. Your mouth will get you in some real trouble. Mm hmm. You know. And, and, they, and they was doing bad stuff to us. We just had body cam. We didn't have body cam back in the days. We didn't have Facebook Live. We didn't have cell phones to record it. This ain't the first time. Come on, y'all. Okay. By the time we get there, there's just not much. It's going to be the deal done been done. And then, and then that blue cone of silence where police don't tell on one another. Can we talk about it? Sometimes even if the cops look like you and me, they won't talk against another one because they don't want their stuff to be messed up. So we have to have these lessons and we got to start seeing, are you grabbing it? Are you grabbing it? Do you really get what I'm saying? And then we got to deal with what we see. Um, Proverbs chapter 10, I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 5. So then we began to, as they move from the child stage to the son stage, son slash daughter stage, then we start to see, have they internalized wisdom or have they, have they maintained their folly? Foolishness is born in the heart of a child. But by the time they get to the son or daughter phase, they should have internalized some wisdom, and then we got to see, do they really got it yet? All right, look at Proverbs 10, verses 1 and 5. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Ah, he's at a, he's at a stage now where there should be some wisdom there. And this scripture says, if there is, we glad about that thing. But if there isn't, there's some grief that goes on. Now look at verse 5. 
He who gathers in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. So then I began to start to see, look for traits and attributes that demonstrate that wisdom is there. Do they have a sense of where they are in their life, right? Do they have a sense of what time it is, right? Most of the time, what would distinguish me from my peers, most of my peers start to try to figure out what they were going to be when they were seniors in high school. You too late, brother. I'm going to college. And then they spend four years trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. Spending a lot of money, getting a lot of debt, trying to discover themselves. That's an expensive discovery. That's all I'm going to say. All right, look at Proverbs 13 and 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Uh-oh. Does your, does your child, do they scoff when you give them correction? Do they disregard it, disrespect it? Is it just a, you bother me, go away, parent, you bother me? Even if they've missed it, do they have some self-realization that I was wrong? Okay. Look at Proverbs 19:13. A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. All right, I ain't gonna mess with the wife stuff. That's that's in another session. But let's deal with this. Your children will cost you money even after they leave your house. Some parents have <laughs> some, parents, <laughs> some parents have, have, have allowed their children's foolishness to consume all their wealth, getting them out of, out of, out of jail, spending money on attorneys, um, trying to get their child out of trouble. They have wasted all of the resources that they had for themselves trying to get their child out of trouble. Right? So we want to make sure we get some wisdom. Now, that, now listen, destiny costs. Right? Um, I, I make investments in destiny. But some of these detours that you sign up on, I got to ask myself, is that a good spend on the cash? Now, sometimes I'm trying to help. help. I'm, I'm a patriarch in training. I'm not all the way there, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm signing up for the job. So sometimes I got, you know, nephews and nieces, and then I'm trying to help them even though they, have, they are on a detour. And praise God, I done made some wise decisions, so I have enough resource to do that without hurting the core of what, I'm, I'm intending to be an inheritance. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? And if I don't look out for him, who going to look out for him? Okay. But I don't want, I, I, I don't want me to go, a parent should not be going into financial ruin themselves because of the bad decisions of their children. And you should foresee the signs of that and, be try, and try to correct it before it gets too expensive. Then, I hate it when the kids make bad decisions and then try to say, I made these decisions because you love Johnny more than you love me, and, and I was the black sheep of the family. Child, please. And then, and stop treating it like you got to give every child the same thing. Every child can't handle the same stuff. Why do we... God just, listen, everybody in heaven don't get the same reward. Because I know that is why I work so hard as your pastor. I'm working hard because I want heaven to be way better. You understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean, now does God love any person in heaven the same? No, but he's going to reward you according to your works. You saved by grace, but you're going to get rewarded by works. Go back and read your Bible, see if I'm telling you the truth. 
And if you see that he rewards you based on works, then get to working. <laughs> okay, hallelujah. That's just the pastor coming out. I'm sorry. I'm, I was about to clown there for a second. I'm, get it back in, David. Get it back in. Hallelujah. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 26 and 27. And it says, he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Ah, so now, you know, when they're a child, God, God starts to deal with us about how we treat them. Now God's turning it around and, and talking to the son and daughter about how they treat the parent. You know, I'm starting to see, you know, some of the, as they mature, um, some of the things that, that, that children, when they're at the son or daughter's phase, dealing with the parents, aren't, aren't the greatest. Okay, and now God's telling here, you know, that there's some, um, there are children that cause shame and reproach because they're mistreating their parents, Right? And then he deals with the fact that how you regard knowledge, if you, you never should lose the ability to be taught. No matter what age. Some people think, well, you ain't, you can't make up your own mind. No, 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 I'm, I'm. I'm an independent husband. You hear me? I am. But I still receive instruction. I, I find, I find as your pastor, like, like the people that really instruct me, now nah, you're going to have to have some goods if you're going to tell me something. Some people I'm like, nah, bro, you can't counsel me. I look at what you got. You can't counsel me. Now, I didn't say I don't take counsel. Those are not the same. I didn't say nobody can counsel me. I just said you can't counsel me. You need to have some fruit. You telling me something. Okay. I need to see something you got that I want. Okay. I didn't say nobody can counsel me, but everybody can't counsel me. But I, I, don't, I don't have a mindset that turns off instruction. Don't tell me, I'm grown. Don't, you can't tell me what to do. Then that means every mistake, I got to make it the first time. How did my daughter say it? Don't buy a lesson I already paid for. Isn't that how you said it? <laughs> why, why I got to get it the first time? If, you can, if I can look at your situation and figure that one out. I'm just saying. Don't buy a lesson I already paid for. Okay. And so, you know, I'm, I'm working to grow the church. I'm, I'm bringing people in here that grow in their church. Okay. And when I'm having problems with y'all, I know none of y'all think y'all have problems. I know y'all don't think y'all have problems. I know. But I'm talking to somebody and say, when you had a situation like this, 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 and this, explain to me how you dealt with it. Instruction. Now, I can say, I'm the man of God. I can hear God for myself, and I can. I just recognize that there's people that can accelerate me along my destiny path, and I'm willing to submit to them. Now, same way, as a parent, you need to have the conversational relationship with your children where you can have these discussions and then let them kind of process it. When you got grown children in their own house, you can't be coming in there telling them in front of their grandchildren like you told them when they was kids. You can't do that. You can't. God's not into that. You can't call that God neither. You know, some of that's it's just, just, okay, I, I was going to say it was witchcraft, but I ain't going to say that. Some of that, we just trying to control things that we no longer can control. And heaven does not empower us to control stuff beyond our grace. And then, and then we start to put guilt trips on people. That's not God, y'all. We got to now 
listen, I got to talk to you through this thing. I got to talk to you. And I'm hoping that I built the bridge before I need to cross it. So we got to start building bridges with our children before they leave the home. Building real bridges where, where they can talk. Okay, talk to me. I'm, I'm laying the parent aside. Now we just need to talk. What you tell me now, you won't get in trouble. Now later on, you might get in trouble about other stuff. But we're going to talk now, and we're just going to really talk. God lets us talk to him. Or how many of us have fussed God out about stuff? God, don't you know what problem I'm having? If he struck us down for every time we mouth off at him, all of us would be in hell. Can I get an amen? Okay, so we got to be willing, and he lets us grow. And he doesn't bring back all of the things we did wrong. I remember you did this wrong, and I remember you did that wrong. And then I remember... See... <laughs> See, we glad God got to see a forgetfulness, but we go diving. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on, y'all. Now, am I the only one that God got that see of forgetfulness? Oh, yeah. But parents, we go diving. I'm just saying, we go in there and pull it all back up. Okay? So I'm just telling you this kind of thing because I want you to understand that we got to work to change that dynamic now. Because when we, when, when we harden our position, then the children makes decisions that says, when I get from under your thumb, I'm going to do this. And I'm, that may be worse than everything that you, that you fussing at about them now. And you would wish to have that day over again where you could talk to them and cause them to understand. But now it's too late. Now they're going to have to experience it, the harshness of their own experience and consequences when you could have talked them through it. Somebody say amen. All right. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 17 and 2. It says, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. Uh-oh. Now this scripture says, not only will they cause you grief and shame, but it says, from heaven's perspective, if you have a spiritual son or daughter who is not even your birth, some of them are more entitled from heaven's perspective than your natural children if, they don't, if they're not really uh, lined up with what you're doing. I know it gets quiet when I say stuff like that. But I didn't pull that out of my, I didn't put that out of my head. You can go, go get your Bible. Get all the translations you want. Get the King James, get your... Get your strongest concordance and see if that's just what it says. But that's just what it says. All right? So what is that telling me? That's telling me God's expecting me to make decisions. If they can't clean their room, how are they going to clean a house? If they can't keep things, get the simple, small things in order, why would you give them something bigger so that it'll be in disorder? Why would you do that? That's what he's talking about there. Abraham said, you've not given me a son, and my heir is the, is the servant in my house. So what was he saying? If he hadn't gotten a son, he was going to let his servant inherit because his servant, he knew he could trust him and that his servant wouldn't waste it. Sometimes we have other people. Now, this is hard teaching, okay, but it's the Bible, so your pastor got to give, it, give you all of it. That's my, that's my commitment to you. Sometimes there's people that's related to you that don't need or don't, haven't, haven't proven themselves to be good stewards over, and you, you, you would be better spent giving your inheritance to somebody who's not your natural family, who will take better care of it than your own kids. That's what that says. Now, that's difficult teaching, 
But it's in your Bible, so I'm going to teach it to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Most of the times these scriptures are talking about from the male's perspective, but I'm going to, but there is some scriptures that talk about, you know, maturity from a female perspective. Let's look at Proverbs 11:22. As a ring in a, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Ah, remember I gave you that, a pig with a nose ring, right? That's what that said. Okay. What is it saying? She's grown up physically. She looks good, but her maturity hasn't matched. Her maturity inside hasn't matched the looks and her growth outside. Okay. All right. Now let's look at one more scripture for today and I'll stop. Proverbs 16, excuse me, Luke 16 and 10. I'm going to read this out of the King James. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. And it says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Right? He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Okay. So, my statement to this scripture is, don't let your children have access to the accounts without accountability. Okay. If your child is allowed to mishandle an asset, whether it's a coloring book, a cell phone, or a car, without respect to the time and labor that was utilized to make that asset available to them, then your family's wealth will be dispersed in less than a few years. Right? You want the, the people, your family, you want them to value what it took for you to get what you got. You want them to demonstrate value, right? Little Johnny gets tired of the bike, so he leaves it outside and it rains on and get rusted. Don't get him a motorcycle. Does that make sense? Don't do it because they haven't shown value. You got to start fixing that stuff because later on they're going to waste more and it's going to cost more, right? Hallelujah. Once they appreciate what you want is in the sun phase that they begin to appreciate their own labor. If they can appreciate their own labor, then they will appreciate your labor. Then when they sign their name, it'll mean as much as when you sign your name. Now you can start trusting them with resources. Until they got that figured out, you need to save money from them so that you can save it for them. Because if you give it to them, they don't have the value of it and they'll just blow it because they haven't yet quite assumed or developed an insight on what value really means. Right? And this is the kind of things. Now we're talking legacy talk. We're talking inheritance talk. We're talking that stuff. But you really start to figure out who can do what in, those, in that transition to adulthood. Right? You're starting to try to, you need to start to be making hard decisions. And when you see the data, don't ignore it. Don't you hate it when you see mothers just give, like spend all of their wealth on a child that's not going to ever turn around. And as long as the, the mother is bailing out the child, the child never turns around. He don't have to. Mama got him. Okay? He don't ever got to bail out. He don't even have to grow up. Mama got him. And so then they begin to lose that sense of, um, of what they can be, and then you stunt their development. And then you got to just hope it turns out better than the grandchildren. Woo, Pastor David, hallelujah. All heirs are not created equal. Abraham gave a bottle of water to Ishmael, gifts to Keturah's son, and everything he had to Isaac. <laughs> he didn't give everybody the same kind of stuff. He didn't split his inheritance equally. 
People think that's biblical. I just need to give everybody the same thing. And it's not, you don't see that in your Bible. You don't, okay? I know it gets quiet when I say stuff like that. But I'm supposed to preach it to you so you can get faith for it. So God can talk to you. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you, you know, just don't assume that everybody should get the same thing. What you want is the one who is really the son, the one who has the devil portion, that's the person who should be able to be entrusted with the resource. And that person, when the other person comes along, gets them out of trouble when they need it. But when they actually mature and get their act together, even if you're not around, they should split some of the wealth and give it to them to help them get along their way. That was what's supposed to happen. Most of the time, the kid that get it say, pump you. Sucks to be you. Mama didn't give it to you while you was alive. You hit. Easy. That's why they do that 50-50. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm just telling you, that's, that's, not how, that's not how families of wealth work it, though. They let you, okay, you, you get a little bit to mess with, but you can't mess it all up. And then they hold some stuff for you. And some stuff they wait until you get to a certain age, and then they disperse it to you precisely because they are hoping that by that time all your dumb days are over. All right, I'm out of time. Did this bless you? All right. I really do pray that these, these teachings, this is some really um, challenging stuff. I know this is challenging, y'all. Um, but this is what real dynamics for destiny relationships. We're talking about giving people the, the, what they need to really walk in their destiny. And so we have to be able to deal with the things that, that really the word says is there and then um, help, help our young people to really deal with it. Our young people need every advantage that they can get. All right. We also need to understand, you know, there's all these questions recently about who was a self-made man. And they talked about one of the Kardashians. She's not a self-made billionaire. Well, Donald Trump, wanted, his daddy gave him his first million. Child, please. But, you know, with all of the stuff I don't like, he did turn his million into some billions. What we want is whatever resource that we give our children, that they can take that and go further than what we did. Spent a lot of time talking to my daughter, trying to, trying to get her to a certain place. Because if I'm not here, she will start with more resource than I ever started with, but I don't want it wasted. I want something to be there available and stored up for grandchildren. Does that make sense? So, we do want to do that.